Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. Have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvellous. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. Welcome back, everyone. Here we are for another episode. Uh, Sean and I have done a few today. We're rounding out the day. It's a Friday afternoon. It's uh, having a few with the few on Friday with Boo and Sean. I uh, wonder if we can get that URL. Uh, last last podcast from the farm. Uh, really excited about our next guest. Uh, among his many accomplishments, uh, he managed to flog off the MCG, sold it. Uh, bet you didn't know that happened uh, before embarking upon a career in an area that I, I, I love. It's my sweet spot. I could talk to people like this every single day, all about systemizing businesses and how through effective systems uh, we can build organizations that need 50 percent less staff move faster replicate the ceo the founder your mindset your methodology and mobilize it through an organization at speed uh, building an a team small elite team uh, through the systemization of all your processes i'm so excited uh, this is right in my sweet spot here so uh, with no further ado uh oh, sorry half a beer mate i forgot you're here <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I'm so excited. Um, not the first time. I'm sure it's not going to be the last time. But uh, I too am excited about uh, getting uh, uh, our next guest, uh, Dave Jennings, on board. Uh, I was introduced to Dave by a mutual friend of ours, uh, Den Lenny. And uh, it, uh, Den said to me, um, he said, Mate, I think you should connect with Dave. I, I reckon you guys would uh, you'd, you'd, you'd just get on like a house on fire. And uh, I think Dave and I jumped on a, on a Zoom a couple of weeks ago and uh, it felt like I'd known you already for a year or two just from that first call, Dave. So it's great to get you on and uh, have you share some of your story and your wisdom with our audience. So welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And I think I just got pumped listening to your intro and the music right at the start. So I'm uh, excited to hear what I'm going to say too. <laughs> <laughs> it could go anywhere. So just uh, just get ready for it. But um, but yeah, there's, there, I know that there's a little, I know a little bit of your story from from our conversations, but also from uh, from um, you know, reading your your book Systemology. Um, and uh, I, 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 you know, systems and processes are something that that I see in in dealing with small businesses all the time. And uh, we had a laugh, you know, on the, when we spoke on the phone earlier, um, how I asked my inner circle group out of all of the you know, hundred or so people, hundred and ten members that we had in the room at the time. Who here is comfortable with their or really happy with their level of systemization in their business? And none of the members of my group put their hands up. And I was just like, really? No, not one person. And I'm like, excellent. So uh, uh, we're going to be having uh, David come and, and support us at our next event. But it just reminded me of the the, the concept of systemization. And then one of our members said, hey, I just read this book called Systemology. And that was quite, um, you know, uh, synchronistic that it was actually your book. And uh, then um, obviously we went on to a, and, and mentioned it to my members that that's what we're looking to do for the, for the next event. But that concept, I mean, how, how did you go back back in the day? Like, I know that you were a very young, you know, entrepreneurial mindset, very similar to myself. You know, what got you into that 
you know, concept of being an entrepreneur and, and getting started and, and, and paving your own way? Yes. I always felt from day dot that I just needed to go out and make lots of money. I, I came from that uh, family that always- So, so the altruistic uh, right. entrepreneur. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to change right. the world. Yeah. No, I just want to make yeah, bank. No, no, show me the money. <laughs> it was almost like a moving away strategy because my family- life uh you know it was i remember growing up and we were always arguing over money and it was always a point of contention and i remember at a young age just going i don't want that so it was always like a moving away strategy where i was just i thought well well what do i need to do i need to get interested in business i need to at, at first i thought well i'm going to go where the money is which i thought was the stock market for me at the time so i kind of headed down that route and then very quickly found out that you needed money to trade the stock market. And I didn't have any. I was working in a supermarket stacking shelves. And then just then it sort of started to get me on this journey to learn about business and marketing and sales and um, all of the different things you got to learn as a business owner. You wear a, a ton of different hats. Um, and, and like a lot of, I suppose, business owners and entrepreneurs, just tried so many different things along the way. It's mainly trial and error for me, a bit of a, um, you know, learn by making a lot of mistakes and then going, that didn't work. Well, let's try something different. And that's really what's led me to where I am today. So how then, let's go back to, for those those viewers who are not, uh, sorry, listeners and viewers that are not from Australia, the MCG is the Melbourne Cricket Ground. It's an iconic sporting ground uh, in Australia here. Uh, give, give us a bit of background on, you know, how did you sell the MCG? <laughs> well, when I'd finished school, uh, all of my friends decided to go off to uni because they thought that's what you do to, you know, get a job and, and get into the workforce. But for me, I just wanted to go out there and make the money. So I started learning and uh, like um, consuming as much personal development material as I could. And I booked in to go to a seminar in Queensland called The Billionaire in Training by a guy called Brad Sugars. And part of the pre-reading that he sent out was a book called The One Minute Millionaire. And the book had a whole lot of these different stories in it. But one of the stories it told was a guy called Paul Harchunian who sold the Brooklyn Bridge. And the story goes, he was watching the news and they were doing some renovation on um, the Brooklyn Bridge. And in the background, he saw this removalist truck uh, that was taking rid of all of the discarded wood. And it had their phone number written on the side. So he called them and he said, what are you going to do with the wood? And they said, oh, we're just going to take it down to the tip and get rid of it, rid of it. And he said, well, can you deliver it to my place? And they said, yeah, no worries. I think they charged him a hundred bucks and they delivered a big pile of all of this discarded wood from a very iconic bridge uh, in uh, the Brooklyn Bridge in uh, the States. And when they were driving it, the story goes that he wrote this press release saying the New Jersey man sells the Brooklyn Bridge for 1995. And by the time the wood arrived, he then started chopping up all of the pieces of the wood, sent out the press release. This was before the days of the internet. So he had to fax out the media release and he said it was a bit of radio silence for about two or three days before he just got mobbed by the media. And he basically took the wood, chopped it up into little pieces and then sold little certificates, basically saying like a certificate of authenticity that 
you own a piece of the Brooklyn Bridge and he would stick a little bit of this um, Brooklyn Bridge in it. So I'd just read that story and I was driving past the MCG. And yes, for those who aren't in Australia, the MCG, it's almost like a religious icon. Uh, like a lot of people, you know, worship sport and that is over here and it's the, the church for sport and it's a very well-known icon. And I was driving past and there was this big hole in the side of the stadium and it was almost like fireworks went off in my brain and I just thought this is my opportunity to replicate what Paul Hartunian did because they're obviously doing some renovations on the site. They'd knocked down the Ponsford stand and I've, I sort of followed the bouncing ball, went to a wrecker, got my hands on a lot of the green wooden seating, which is very iconic for the MCG. They had these painted green seats and I got my hands on a, a lot of MCC crested carpet, the Melbourne Cricket Club. It's, um, they used to have it lining all of their members' rooms and uh, it's quite ugly carpet, but very memorable. <laughs> and I bet uh, if, if that carpet could tell a story or two, it would have a lot to say. And um, I got my hands on this and then I wrote the press release. So I did Melbourne Man <laughs> sells the MCG for twenty four ninety five. And then I ended up uh, running it as an advertorial in the MX magazine here in uh, Melbourne. It's like a free um, thing they would give away on the trains. And then the, basically the media picked it up from that. I then had the Today Show rock up and want to do a story on me. I then got on Nova Radio and a bunch of newspapers and magazines. And it was a little bit of a, a wild ride. It was kind of like riding a, a magical carpet ride. Um, and I did the same thing. I chopped up all of the memorabilia I had into little pieces, made some little certificates and then sold off um, bits of the, the MCG. And even to this day, I have a big stack of green wooded seating stacked in my mum's dusty garage in Greensboro. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone out there looking to That's buy right. a piece of the MCG? Sure. Still about, I think they've got to go up. I think it's about forty nine ninety five now. That's <laughs> right. Inflation. That's yeah, right. Inflation. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And then what happened, uh, Dave? You obviously decided I've uh, cornered the market in real estate. That's right. Uh, <laughs> now I'm going to move into. Uh, did, what, did you move into the digital world? Well. I was I started because um, I was interested in that stock market uh, space, and then I realised I, I didn't have any money. So then I thought, well, what am I good at? And there was a particular charting package that I'd learnt about as I was learning about the stock market. I went through one of those weekend learn how to trade the stock market courses, and I was going to be Warren Buffett on Monday morning, yeah. <laughs> and then I realised <laughs> that wasn't the case, and um, I had this big debt that I, you know, I took out a five grand loan to do this, this course. And, but I learned how to use this charting package. So I teamed up with one of the other participants. So we wrote a study guide for that. And the, the product was great. I mean, it took us probably about, I would say six to nine months to write. And I got really good feedback from the immediate community, but then found you can have a great product, but unless you get the message out there and know how to market it, it's really not worth much. There's only so far that it'll go. So that's when I got sucked into the sort of uh, online marketing world. Direct, you know, I did a lot of the classic stuff as well. I learned all about direct mail and how to write good copy and then got that onto the internet and wrote my first sort of sales page and website and found YouTube and started putting YouTube videos up very early days. And 
Um, that was kind of like uh, a first little sort of run up that first real business. If I think the MCG was more like a promotion, like I didn't have a back end product or anything to sell after I'd sold my little bit of wood, what was I going to try and upsell them? And um, so I saw that as a promotion. This was a real business though, where he started to have a product line and I teamed up with someone and I did that business for a good amount of time until uh, they changed some rules in Australia around what was considered financial advice. And we were kind of bordering on, um, whether or not what we were doing was financial advice and we didn't have a license. So my business partner said, right, I'm going in one direction. And basically I went in the other direction. And I, uh, at that team at, at time had built up a team that was helping to market that business. Marketing was really my strength and my business partner was around the content creation. And then I thought, well, maybe I take everything that we were doing in the stock market education space and then apply it to small business. And we started a digital agency and we're going back now, probably about 14 or 15 years ago now. And that business was great because we were originally working in a hyper competitive niche, stock market education, trading systems, Forex trading, all that stuff, which is uber competitive. And then we basically moved into marketing small businesses based in Melbourne and we absolutely dominated because it was very early days search engine optimization, early days YouTube. And basically, I could go to any business and say, hey, give me one marketing dollar and I'll turn it into 10. So we, we had more business than we could actually handle because um, it was very easy to get uh, fantastic results in those early days. But So, that, so Dave, just one, one thing I'm going to ask that, that sounds all sexy and great that you had this niche market. What was life like as you built that? from scratch what was what was the reality of it i'd love just love to know that not just the this is the outcome but you know we work in 20 hours a week we work in 100 hours a week like to build this thing well i was i was young and full of energy and i wanted to make my mark on the world and make lots of money so i pretty much worked every waking moment so weekends late nights early mornings i almost wouldn't want to track it but we'd be talking 100 plus hours because that's all I was really doing. I wasn't doing any uni or anything like that. I was getting this business off the ground and all business owners know how much hard work and effort is just to go from concept through to a running business. And then at every turn, there's a new challenge. Like in business, you, you never hit the end of, ah, I've made it. I've solved all of my problems and my challenges. That It's just the quality of the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you start to um, build the business. So it was definitely very challenging. And there were a lot of little deviations, like that was the digital agency. But then as a, another side business, we opened a rock and roll clothing music store. <laughs> and we, that was with another business partner. And I was trying to import products from the States. So I was kind of just looking for my home run and trying a lot of different things to see what would stick. And um, it was funny though, every business that I went to, each new business, I kind of brought all of the lessons that I had learned from the previous business and thought, oh, well, I'm going to do it differently this time. So each time it was, it's just been funny to see when I look back now, see all of the iterations and, and each business improves upon what we did last time. But as I said earlier, it was really just trial and error to get there. So then what was, what was your experience like when you've got the digital agency running, how did life look then once you actually went through that 
100 hour plus a week. Uh, sounds, it sounds like you're talking about my story when you're saying all this stuff. <laughs> um, uh, like what was the difference over time as you started to, you know, I suppose learned about the concepts of systems, processes, things like that? I had that idea. So systems and processes was baked into me early with the stock market stuff. Because stock market, we would design trading systems, and the whole point of those was to remove emotion. You do all the thinking up front. You'd think of your entries, your exits, your position sizing, and you do all that thinking up front. So I got the early programming with systems on that. We had the rock and roll clothing music store, which we franchised. So we had to do franchise or manuals and um, franchisee manuals. And when I got to the digital agency, it's funny, every conversation I have with every business owner, we all agree business systems and processes are important, but for whatever reason, oftentimes there's something that gets in the way of you actually doing it. And when I got to the digital agency, I found I had this baggage and I didn't even realize it. And the baggage was, I thought, yeah, look, this business is different because it's online everything's moving so quickly. So what's the point of getting a system if it's going to very quickly become out of date? We were a creative digital agency and I thought, why would I get systems into place? So that's just going to turn my team into robots and pull all of the creativity out of them or they're not even going to follow them anyway because they're the creative types. They're not going to follow systems and process. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to be the one who creates all of these systems because I built the business up from scratch. I understand every minute detail and can explain it probably the best and have the deep understanding. So I'm going to have to design the systems. And then I thought, oh, these systems need to be, you know, super perfect first go. And I, I just was carrying all this stuff. And there's almost like this black hole of about 10 or 12 years in the digital agency where I just grew it to a certain point. And then I really just moved sideways and the business was going fine. And from the outside looking in, I'd written a book. I was making good money. I um, had a good sized team around me, but really we, we did, we hit this ceiling. I ended up being the bottleneck and it's only with the benefit of hindsight. Can I see this? But, but I kind of put a real cap on it because I had all of this baggage around what I thought a systemized business was. Um, And it wasn't until I had a real sort of turning point and some pressure put on me that then I thought, hang on, I need to look at this in a different way. I'm going to say, Dave, that if you could create a checklist, if there was a checklist for the resistance points that people have to systemizing their business, you just said exactly every single one of them. It's amazing, isn't it? Like People just, they just think it's going to ruin their business if they start to get structured with the way they do things. People really don't understand the value of a systematic approach to stuff and how much free thinking space that gives you when the things you do every single day. Oh, but um, boo, I got into business so I didn't have to do stuff, right? I got into business so I could choose what I do, right? That, I say, that, that's that's part of the mindset, isn't it? I say to companies when I consult them, I go, look, what you're doing today is probably going to be pretty similar tomorrow. You're a digital marketing company. You're not going to rock up the next day and start baking bread and have a totally different... 90% of what you do for the next 10 years is the same. We want to innovate the 10%. And if we systemize how to get out of bed in the morning, then that's going to free up time to do really meaningful, the really meaningful tasks and the really meaningful thinking that creates that accelerated uh, growth. And I know, David, that's what you talk about. Preaching to the converted. You, you talk yeah, about that, right? A hundred percent. Like I couldn't agree more. I One of the biggest insights I had was 
the digital agency, we ended up creating a sub brand, which, cause I got uh, tons of clients who were saying, um, Oh, can you create some content? I see what you're doing on the videos. Can you make us some videos? So we set up Melbourne video production. Now I can't shoot video. Like I'm not a video guy. I said, yes, let's build this out. But from day one, I had to build that business without me being on the tools. And I remember the first shoot we went on and I was sitting in the car with Adrian. We had a 45 minute drive to get there. We spent at least 40 minutes of that 45 minute drive with him saying, Oh, did I bring that spare battery? I hope I got that separate lens that I needed. Did I send that email to the client to remind them not to wear checkered shirts because that's really bad on camera. And the last five minutes we probably spent just looking at Google, Google maps, figuring out where we were going. And that for me was like, oh, wow, that's how a lot of people operate. Like he didn't have any system or process. And because I was building that business without me getting on the tools, I built it with systems and process uh, in mind from day one. About six months later, I went on another shoot with him after we put a packing checklist and he had a, um, a questionnaire that he would call up and ask the clients before we went on the shoot. And I remember on that drive, we spent the entire drive six months later and I remember he was talking to me about planning out his shot list and he's like, I wonder how I'm going to frame that. How do I get both people in it? Oh, yep. Uh, which, which shot should I go first? So what ended up happening was originally he had all of this stuff that needed to happen that was consuming his brain. Once that was handled and he would just follow the checklist so he knew he had his kit packed, it meant that the journey was spent with extra space to think about the creative stuff. Yeah. So you remove the noise, you remove the noise from his, from his head yeah. and now he can do what he's meant to do, which is be creative. hundred percent. And all business has that. There are certain things in everybody's business that's listening to this right now that has to happen. You have to generate leads. You have to handle inquiries. You have to have a way of selling those people. You have to have a way to onboard the client. You have to have a way to deliver the core product or service. You have to have a way to get them to come back. So figure out what the core things that have to happen are so that it then creates space and don't over-systemize. Like chances are people listening to this are keen to hire A players, good quality, strong team members, and they're not looking to have people that they have to micromanage and tell them how to handle every scenario and situation. So what you do is the, the system is more about creating a higher level framework and best practice for them to follow. And then exceptions that happen outside of that, good team members can help to solve those problems. But you need to create the space for them to be able to do that. So it's the more that I've gotten into this, I've started to realize where the resistance points is. The resistance is not, are systems important? We all know they're important. Then it's like, well, why haven't you done it? And then we look at all of that baggage. And then once someone goes, oh, this is all just baggage, then the next question becomes, well, where do I get started? I think to David, to add to that, one of the things that I've seen too in, in working with businesses, say with teams of, you know, say 10, 10 people in a team and they're hiring people that are good quality people. And some of those people are probably delivering value, you know, many times their, their hourly rate. So they're probably delivering, you know, two, three, four, five hundred dollars an hour with a value to the business in what they actually bring. Now, if that person is doing a $25 an hour task repetitiously 
right? And one of my past business partners uh, created a set of saying that I've never forgotten, which is remove original thought in a routine situation, right? And that whole thing about just get rid of the thinking bit, because if their energy, like your videographer, uh, thinking about whether he brought his batteries or, and I had an incident where my videographer didn't bring any memory cards. So digital cameras don't work without memory cards. <laughs> Plenty of batteries, but no memory cards and came up to Noosa for it. But anyway, we figured a way around it. But the, the point is that if you've got people doing that repetitious stuff, if you put a system in place and and automate it or, or, or you know, outsource it to a lower value, you know, lower cost team member or something like that, you're going to get a substantial increase in the output of that person or the value. So a team of 10 could potentially be doing the output as if they have a team of 12 or more once they actually systemize a business. That's what I've seen. It's so powerful. And there's a, a really important lesson as well when we like dig into exactly what you've said there, which is helping the team member to understand that passing on and systemizing those lower cost tasks actually makes them more valuable to you. It's counterintuitive because a lot of team members think if I systemize myself out of a job, why will they need me? They'll just take my job and go offshore with it. And, you know, I'm out of a job, but really when they actually understand that they're becoming more valuable to the business by moving lower cost tasks off their plate means they can then take tasks off the business owner or the leadership team. Now that actually helps them move up in an organization. So part of the work that you need to do when you build a system-centered culture in your team is to help them to understand that because you really, when the magic happens is when the entire team goes, ah, this is the way that we do things here. And that's like a really big breakthrough that happens when they realize there's benefit to them, not to you. But I say they enjoy it more too, because they're actually doing not that, oh crap, I've got to do this stupid crap like I have to do for an hour every day. They're actually in the interesting, exciting, you know, uh, enjoyable element of their role. And so, as you say, it's about reprogramming that thinking to say that, no, I want to make you more valuable to me and not less. That's where the real failure is. I think most people who work in an organization are happy to work to a system. The leadership don't like systems because they're the ones that feel, what am I going to do now? If everything's automated, if everyone's just doing their job and I'm not dealing with a crisis every second day, They don't need me to manage anymore. Uh, So I personally believe it's the leadership that really struggles with the benefits of systems and processes. The people who work for them love it. I can tell that you are uh, a deep systems thinker because you only learn what you just said by actually doing it and seeing it firsthand because- Uh, the business owner thinks I don't really like systems and processes. Therefore they assume their team doesn't like systems and processes. And what they're actually doing is projecting their view of things onto the team. When you're right, a lot of a players and depending on how you recruit and the, um, the culture that you build in, a lot of team members thrive with systems and processes because what it does is it tells them how to win the game and how to succeed in their role by going, wow, we have a standard and I'm able to nail it to that standard. So that's, that is most definitely uh, one of the, the uh, 
changes that needs to happen in the business owner's head. So for me, I don't love writing systems and processes. This is the dirty little secret of systemology. As much as I'm the systems guy, I don't like writing systems and processes. But as a business owner, what I did is I fell in love with the result. So I have fallen in love with what I see a systems-driven business can bring because I've now seen the difference between businesses that have systems and processes in place and those that don't. And it is night and day difference. And the, the big wake up call for anyone listening to this, if I could do anything and light that fire inside you is to let you know, if you've reached the conclusion that, Hey, I'm just not a systems guy. I know they're important, but I'm not a systems guy. I can't run a systems driven business. I want to let you know, just because you, you may not be a systems guy or girl, that doesn't mean you can't have a systems-centered business that has a systems culture in it. It's very common to have the founder, visionary, big thinking, quick moving, quick start person um, as part of the leadership team, but then they always have the yin to their yang. The, the yang is the operations detail orientated process person. It's the working of those two together. The, the leader needs to buy in though. And the leader needs to say, this is what we're doing because that's their role. But then it would be the operations person who keeps it front and center and drives it forward. But you are 100% correct on, on that boat. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, you've just, you've nailed it exactly right there. It's always, it's always leadership. And a story we talk about is an aircraft carrier, uh, four and a half thousand employees, uh, 100% turnover every three years, yet manages to deliver a level of service that many businesses get nowhere near. Average age of employees, 20.5 years of age, all on minimum wage, yet the entire four and a half thousand people operate in absolute synchronicity because every nut, rivet, bolt, walkway is systemized and checklisted and it's a process for taking a shit in the morning. Now, this is something I'm, I'm um, very keen, I suppose, to, to dial in on, Boo, because I almost want to try and challenge a little bit this thought because we're talking about now something that's very well established. And I mean, the military culture, they've evolved and this they've been building their systems and processes for years. It's kind of like when I talk to business owners and I say, what's the first business you think of when you think of a systemized business? And they say, McDonald's. Macus. Yes, exactly right. And then they go, well, that's what a systemized business looks like. They have a system down to the point at which, um, yeah, how you take a shit or um, to follow your analogy, normally I would say how they take out the trash, but let's say they have a system <laughs> for the way that they take out the rubbish because they are taking a 15-year-old kid off the street that doesn't know how to flip a hamburger and they want to train this completely unskilled uh, talent and get them to a point where they can produce a consistent hamburger. So the systems have to be down to that level. In small business, for a lot of people, that thinking um, ends up being like uh, it paralyzes them because they feel like their business needs to be systemized every single facet to meticulous detail. 
And you might be working towards there, but you definitely don't start there. We, you, you, we start at the base level of, hey, what are the uh, minimum viable systems required to run the business? How do we capture best practice of what is currently having, happening? And then how do we bring everybody up to that standard? And the biggest insight I've had maybe in the last sort of six months around what makes systemology different is all the methodologies that are out there right now, like um, Six Sigma and Lean and some of the, they are all process improvement methodologies. And that pre-assumes that you have a process to improve. Whereas systemology is about how do you go from nothing to having version one in place, the bare minimum operating system, get everybody up to that standard. And then you put in, you know, your measurements and your frameworks on top that then start to optimize after that. A lot of that process improvement goes on. But I'd love to hear, I suppose, from you, um, Boo, your thoughts on businesses that are what I was talking about with regards to that over-optimization and how do you pair that back for a business that's just getting started? I think it solves itself. Like I have the rule of threes, like one of the most, what are the three most important things uh, you need to do to deliver your business? And uh, we had the beer cartel guys on here and we went through a process of debriefing where we started to say, look, where's the three critical areas? And you built systems around that. And that was a system around social media and, and marketing and building community, which was a simple system. And then there was a system around packaging and inventorying, they had like a thousand craft beers in, in stock. Uh, and really those were the two systems that we, we didn't even get to three. And once we got those two systems down pat, and the third system was the, the way that they took an order. So the way that you, you bought online, how did that filter through and deliver, you know, in a way that was like, we don't have to get 24 beers from 24 different locations in, in the store. And these guys had a 700% growth in, uh, they had a COVID kicker as well. but. In that environment, it was a case of saying, you're doing all of these things. This activity is occurring, but there's no relationship between them. So let's build the relationship here between taking a photo of a beer can, minimizing the number of seconds between that to getting it on the right social media platform uh, at the right time of day. So don't let's not take photos of things on a Tuesday when our marketing's on a Friday. Let's ride the momentum, get the ride the focus that comes with doing a single activity from start to finish. Uh, and there were only five people in that organization. And then they grow. And as they grow, you need new systems. And that's, you know, whether it's an aircraft carrier, a small business or McDonald's, and I've done quite a bit with McDonald's as well. It's always evolving, but the baseline exists in which to evolve. Uh, otherwise it's chaos, right? So, so your, your point is, and I always have the philosophy, which is, how much do you do? Well, just enough, just enough for now. Uh, and, and and just enough becomes different when you have 10 people, then it becomes different again when there's 20 and, and 30 and, and 40. But I think with systems to go to, and one of the telling points I read uh, researching before you, mate, was, was, was doing the job with 50% less staff. I, I totally agree with that. I, I use, I'm, I'm sort of a, a system is a 30% free kick in everything that you do. And it's really hard when human beings are involved as well. We, we all think differently, different belief systems. So when there's no system that aligns us to what the company wants, 
we bring all our own systems in and it's a lot of those just create frustration and tension and i and what i think mate is that not only are we talking about oh let's make more money but well-being and happiness systems deliver a lot more well-being and happiness as well the the whole goal of a business in my eyes is to be able to consistently deliver value through to your clients so now to do it consistently it can't have any sort of key person dependency so when we think about where do we start i kind of narrow in on this idea of um, how can we consistently deliver value for these clients and um, we start off and we think right what's a primary target audience we're going to target what's the primary product or service that we're going to target and then we map the linear journey that the business and the client goes through to deliver that core product or service so we think how are you currently getting attention and getting people aware of your business how are we handling that incoming lead how are we selling what does that process look like how are we invoicing and onboarding and delivering and then we're getting them to come back and i first go well let's map that journey and then almost like what you had said there, Boo, which is then I, I, I go, right, if, if we can get this to work without any key person dependency, the business is able to make money without, you know, regardless of who is there or not. Initially, we want to move, remove the business owner, but really we don't want any key person dependency. But then you can actually focus in further than that. You then go, well, where is the pain in the business? And they might go, I don't have enough leads. Okay, well, let's look at your lead generation systems. Or they might say, hey, we keep on having clients that are following us up saying, where is the product and why haven't I heard from you? And okay, well, maybe you don't have an onboarding system or process to set the right expectation. Or maybe they say, hey, you know, we keep on having issues chasing up debtors. They're not paying their invoices on time. Okay, well, maybe you don't have the right system in place for the way that you're collecting that. So I use the first step in systemology, we call it the critical client flow, to define the field of play. And then we where the play actually happens is dependent on what needs the most amount of work. And that's kind of how we then narrow in. Because, I mean, you, you know it with um, you know, your military background, it, it is all about prioritization. And you're going to have to focus on something. What is the top priority? How do you put your attention there understanding that your business is probably already operating anyway and just because you don't get a system or a process in place doesn't mean that thing magically stops happening your business is still kind of working when we get systems in place it's about going to work on whatever is the most important priority thing and looking for a solution and solving it at the systems level which solves it once and permanently rather than solving the same problem again and again and again and again and again, which is what happened to me in the digital agency. I got stuck in there for 10 or 12 years because I'm answering the same questions when the client rings up. I'm or, following or if up a team member leaves. Same... When a team member leaves, you're like, oh, there goes all that knowledge. Exactly the same. Six months of onboarding, relationship management, doing everything on a relationship basis rather than a systems basis. 100%. And that for me was the big change. We got the the um, video production business. And I said, aha, I can see what's happening here. And I built that business very differently. Then I found out we were pregnant and I said, I don't want to be the dad who's always too busy. I already told you the type of life I wanted to move away from. You know, I wanted to have a good amount and then be very present and there for the kids. So I thought this needs to change. 
And then I had the deadline because we knew, you know, nine months, I'm going to have a baby. So we needed to make sure that I worked towards that. And I, I doubled down on the systems and the processes. And I got it to a point where we captured the minimum number of systems for the business to operate. And then I plugged a CEO in and then she started to run the business. And then I took a good amount of time off. That business ran for about three years with very little input from me. I was meeting with Melissa once a month. I never had plans to sell that business. Like I thought to myself, it's a cash cow. Every quarter I get a profit distribution as a business owner. I got a smaller wage from it as well because I, you know, the time that I was putting in it. So I was getting a little wage, um, bigger profit distribution, but she was handling the bulk of it. Uh, and then I thought, well, I'm just going to sit on that and I'm going to start my side project, which, which was the systemology system hub stuff. Um, and it wasn't until she had some family things go on. She had to fly back to the States. And when she came back, because uh, she took three months off, she came back and she resigned. And I remember at the time, it was like a punch in the guts. I was like, oh, how could this business work without her? Because she was such the linchpin. And I thought, well, maybe this is the time for me to complete that business and then take it to market and sell it. And, and I, I put it to market. I got a couple of um, offers coming in. The guy who ended up buying it, I said to him, what were the reasons you bought it? And he said, there were two reasons. One, financial performance. Two, the fact that it was systemized and you hadn't worked in it for three years. And that was another aha when I realized a systemized business gives you options that you wouldn't have previously had. Because if I hadn't systemized that business and then Melissa left, I wouldn't be able to sell it afterwards. So I would have got pulled back into that business because I wouldn't have had a proper saleable asset because who would want to have bought a business where the key person just walked out the door with all of their knowledge? Absolutely. Coming from a corporate finance background, Dave, myself, you know, I've seen that when people present opportunities like, oh, come and invest in my business and they're, they're, they're still sweeping the floors and taking out the rubbish. They want you to put in, you know, half a million bucks and they value it at $10 million and it's been going for three weeks or something. Let um, you look at it and go, well, there isn't that value there. And in corporate finance, you do you know, mergers, acquisitions, capital raises and exits. And on the exits, which is where you could see the difference between a business that ran out of management and a business that had that required the owner to be there. And there was a substantial difference in the asset value of that business. And I asked people, I said, you know, why did you start a business? And most people say the same thing that you did. And I was the same to, you know, early on it was to make money because I had a similar situation at, at, in my you know, early stage of life is that there was a lot of fighting about money. And so I was like, I don't want that. I don't want to have to like worry about buying a bag of chips you know, I don't want to worry about that. I, I want to create my own way and, and not live like that. And it was great inspiration for that. But what I've seen over time is that the business owners that I've worked with you know, for the last 15 years now in, in mentoring and consulting and things like that is that they, they, they want the same outcome. And the same outcome is to move what I say you know, from in the business, not to on the business. It's actually to be the investor in your own business. And that's what you became. You are now the investor in your own business because you weren't required to be there every day. You could have been invested in your business. You could have been invested in my business or someone else's. You got an ROI on that investment, but you weren't required. You didn't have to be there. And that, that I guess, um, I want to you know, use this as a segue. It's it's similar to the three levels that uh, that you know uh, Michael Gerber uses in his Emith uh, Revisited book. Uh, and if you guys and most business owners, I think, have read it. If you haven't, definitely read it. It's one of the uh, one of the most uh, one of the top selling business books around in, in the concepts of business. But he talks about the three stages. He talks about the technician, which is obviously the in the business, the manager, which is kind of, you know, at the higher level, kind of on the business, and then the entrepreneur, 
which is someone who's effectively like the investor in a business. And those three, you have to move through those three. You can be playing all three at the same time, but with the view to me is that your mindset has to be that of an investor, that you're actually, the goal is to create a valuable asset, not to try and create a bit of profit that you can live off. You know, you've got to create an asset. It's like your golden goose that's laying golden eggs every day. You need to get to the point where you can find someone else to nurture it for you and you don't have to even do that work. So I'd love to use this as a bit of a segue. You know, how did you end up, you know, meeting uh, Michael Gerber and actually uh, having him ultimately forward your systemology book, uh, amongst other things? Give us a little bit of that story. It's a very, very interesting story. The, the biggest thing I found with systemizing a business uh, is what it actually does is it gives the business owner optionality. It increases the uh, the options that they can actually take advantage of because there are huge amounts of opportunities that fall into the lap of every single business owner. Some of them they'll see and they can't take advantage of it because they're too busy and they're stuck in it. Others they don't even see because they're stuck in the forest and they just can't see past the trees. So they don't even see the opportunities where the magic happens and what a business owner does best um, is the ability to see an opportunity and to then leverage it. So I, I had potentially the biggest opportunity of my life fall in my lap with the Michael Gerber stuff. And I saw that opportunity and then I could take advantage of it because of the space that I had been given by having a systemized You, you created so, a choice, didn't you? You gave yourself that's choice. exactly what it was. And here I am, I, I see business almost like snakes and ladders. You're kind of plodding up the snakes and ladders board. Occasionally, you will land on a ladder. A lot of business owners don't, they can't climb up the ladder. They have to keep plodding along. You need to be ready when you land on a ladder to climb up that ladder because you don't know, you might skip 50 spaces like that. And you here you are plodding along. Now, the thing is, you can't systemize and plan for those opportunities. They're the ones that just happen. It's spontaneous, but you can be ready to take advantage of them. So that's the real magic. The business owner has to create enough space. So when that happens, they land on a ladder, they can run up that ladder. So here I am. Uh, I just systemized the business. We plugged in Melissa. Um, we, we'd had our first child and I'm kind of taking a step back thinking about, you know, what I'm going to do. I was kind of working on a um, my uh SaaS platform system hub and, you know, systemology was just an early days thought. And I get a, an email out of the blue that says, uh, call me. That's all it said. And it had a US phone number. And then it was signed off by a lady called Luz Delia Gerber. Now I had no idea who Luz Delia was, but I definitely knew the surname and I knew the domain name, Michael E. Gerber Companies. So I went to the website and I thought, oh, okay, well, that's his wife. Oh, she runs the company and uh, Michael's kind of, um, you know, step like she runs the operations and he's the visionary creative. And I thought, well, of course, I'm going to call her. That's what she told me what to do. So I, I called and it was um, there on the uh uh, West Coast. Um, so my early morning was there late afternoon. So I called and she answers and um, I, I said, hey, hi, can I help you? It's David. I'm, I'm just calling. And she said, oh, I've just been on the internet and I was looking around a bunch of different things. And I came across one of your videos and I happened to watch when you did your book launch. I launched my first book, which is called Authority Content. And she said, oh, I loved what you did there. I was just wondering if you could help me. Have you heard of my husband? 
and I said, uh, Michael Gerber, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. <laughs> uh, trying to stay all cool and calm and collected. And um, she said, well, he's just turned 80. He's written the final book in the E-Myth series called Beyond the E-Myth. And it's the first book we've decided to self-publish rather than go through HarperCollins because Michael wants to have full ownership of the rights and he doesn't want to give any of that up. So we have to do a, a book launch. We've never, never done a book launch before because HarperCollins always does the book launch. And she said, I saw what you did and um, I really loved it and I'd like for you to do that for Michael. And, and uh, mind you, I had the digital agency, but I don't launch books. Like that's not my thing. Um, but I, I said, look, you know, it, it's Michael. I, I, you know, really was heavily influenced by his work in the back of my head as well. I knew I'm working on system hub and systemology. Like it's still early days. This was the snakes and ladders opportunity. This was a ladder. I didn't know where that ladder would go. Uh, but I said, yeah, look, I'd love to. And she said, look, it's going to be full time. You're going to have to work on this three months, you're going to have to devote all of your time and energy on this. You're going to have to put anything else that you're working on on hold. And I need your complete focus on this. And I said, yep, look, that's no worries. I've, you know, I've, I've known Michael's work. I've systemized my business. I've got a lady who runs it. I can, I can do this. It would be an honor and a pr privilege to do it. And I'll volunteer for the position. And I kind of, she was like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, well, well let's do this. Of course. So I went all in on it and cut a long story short. Um, I, I spent the next uh, three months, I've never seen doors and opportunities open quicker than when I mentioned Michael Gerber's name. People were falling over themselves to get him on their podcast and get behind it and promote it and add in bonuses for the book launch and a bunch of stuff. And it was fantastic. When the book launched, it was Michael's first book to become an Amazon bestseller in 24 hours. Um, he was so excited by the whole thing. Um, he flew me over to um, Carlsbad, California, where he lives and he runs an event called the dreaming room. And, um, it's like a five day event where he helps you to discover your, your dream, your vision, your purpose, your mission. And, um, I had a few mates who helped me out with the book launch and we rented this Mac daddy house that hangs off the rocks looking over, uh, the Pacific ocean. Like I felt like I was an absolute rock star in this place. And we're um, going to this swanky hotel where he was in Carlsbad, where Michael was running his event. And towards the end of the event, it was a great event. And we got to spend some good amount of time with Michael. And he was kind enough to take us out for dinner a few times. Lustelia pulls me aside and she says, look, um, the day after the event, we have, um, uh, like a, a mastermind group in, um, uh, in Michael's room, like a couple of people, like, a, uh, it's, he had the presidential suite, uh, and he pretty much invited the who's who of business to come along to discuss the future direction of uh, the E-Myth and who was going to take over and what direction they were going to head. Uh, and she said, look, we were going to get Tony Robbins to facilitate this mastermind but at the 11th hour, he's kind of pulled out and we've got no one to facilitate the mastermind. And I said, look, if you can't find anyone, I'll, I'll be happy to facilitate. So I stuck my hand up and um, later that day, she came back to me and she said, look, uh, yeah, uh, we'll get you to facilitate the, the mastermind. So the next day, I'm in Michael's presidential suite. Now, it's this huge room at that swanky hotel and the who's who of business is sitting around on these couches and I'm standing up the front um, with this flip chart. And in my head, I'm sitting there going, how the hell has this happened? I didn't even know Michael Gerber 
three months earlier. And here I am standing in the front of the room facilitating a mastermind to discuss the future direction of the E-Myth and in, Michael's in legacy. In place of Tony Robbins. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, but that's right. Uh, and my, is this I was real? just like, is wow. It, is this happening? Like, talk, talk about landing on an epic ladder. I just went There was that one right from the bottom, like, like half the way up the stairs. Yes, <laughs> that's right. It was like that, you know, in Mario, they've got those things where sometimes you jump up the top and you'd find these little warps yeah, yeah. and you jump six levels. So I just jumped um, pretty much to the, to the end level. And I mean, Michael was so impressed. We got to the end. Um, Luz Delia said, I'd love for you to run the company. And that's when my jaw hit the ground. And I said, look, there's no way I can do it from Australia. Um, I, you know, my wife's not going to want to move. She's, she's Maltese. She's got a big family here in Australia. There's no way that I'm ever leaving uh, Victoria, Australia. Um, so I had to politely decline. But the opportunity to have that sort of fall in my lap and then to be able to follow it, I look, and the doors it's opened afterwards, Michael's written the forward to my book. He now pretty much says systemology is the extension of the e-myth. The e-myth builds the case for systems. Systemology is the how-to. And all of that happened. I look back and I go, that happened by having a systemized business to the point where I could take advantage of the opportunities because opportunities will come your way and you need to be able to grab those and take hold of those because they're few and far between where it could be. You don't know if that ladder is going to take you to the final level that you want to get to, but, but you have to be able to take advantage of that. So it was, yeah, an amazing little sort of journey. And I feel like it's just really started and given this systemology business, the launch that it that it needs. So, so one thing I don't want to do, that, that's an, such an incredible story. As you said, you, you got the opportunity to not only see the ladder, but actually my business is going to run itself for the next three months. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to replace Tony Robbins and leading a mastermind. I'm going to do all these amazing things and jump up many rungs on the ladder. Um, but I guess the thing for me is that one thing I want to make sure is on this call, because obviously we started out with saying, you know, you got into business to make money. That's great. What what drives you now though? What, what's what's your driver now? Because you, you've, you've stepped away from the the um, you know, the agency business. Your, your, your focus is now systemology. I know that you are now work with training people that actually help to implement um, the systemology approach. They're, they're known as systemologists. I happen to have one of my business partners, uh, Rob, who's just become a systemologist uh, to to you know be able to share that that for you. But I guess I'd love to know what's it driving you now. What what drives you? business life, you know, is it still money? You know, you want a private jet? Like what, where are you at? <laughs> when I took the time out, uh, when we had our firstborn and I really started to spend some time just thinking about well, what am I in business for? What do I want to do? Because all of the businesses that I'd done up until that point, I just kind of fell into. I was just, I did the digital agency because I'd built up the team and I need, you know, I, we'd done the stock market education stuff. And now what was I going to do with this team? I set up the videography business because clients were asking. And then I thought, okay, I'll just build that business. Um, I did the rock and roll clothing music store because I had a guy that I was working with in a, a supermarket. He had this idea and I said, let's say that everything felt like I just kind of went with the flow and I kind of fell into it. Systemology was the first real business when I had that time out where I sit down there and thought, what do I want to do? What impact do I want to have? What do I feel passionate about? I'd lost the love for the digital agency. That's also why I didn't want to go back into it. 
because that that piece of me i'd kind of moved on and let that go and then i started to think about what is a genuine problem that i see out there in the world that i think i could solve and i could do it in a way that it hasn't been done before all of the work on business systems for small business in my opinion like it's like a blind spot for many business owners and because it's a blind spot for business owners not very many visionary creatives have written about the topic in a way that another visionary creative could read it and then say, ah, I get this, why the systems piece is so important. So it was, and then I looked at, you know, Six Sigma and Lean and they're all process improvement. That's different. What happens if I don't have a process to improve? So I, I saw this genuine hole that I felt, hey, I could make a contribution here and something that I'm very passionate about. I'm passionate about business owners and I know the struggle that I went through and the support that I would have liked and um, how could I create something that would be a shortcut and a way to condense the knowledge that I've got. Cause I, I mean, I also had that Jim Rohn quote stuck in my head from many moons ago, which is you, you get um, rewarded for the value that you bring to the marketplace. So I was also thinking, what is the biggest amount of value that I can bring to the marketplace? And it was to solve a problem that I know all business owners struggle with at some point in time. And I believe I can solve it elegantly. So I, I, I had that in my head and then I went to the dreaming room and Michael's whole thing uh, is to find your dream, your vision, your purpose and your mission. And I used to think all of that was really wanky. Like, you know, you, you hear these, the big dream, you know, to, to organize all of the knowledge on the earth or something or whatever Google's is. Um, like there's, and I read them and they just feel, I don't know, like they just didn't feel real for me. But I, when I started to work on it and I developed ours, like ours is to free all business owners from the day-to-day -day operations of running their business. And when I thought about that, I thought, yeah, that could get me up in the morning. And I, I think that's a worthy pursuit, something that I enjoy, something that I think will be able to inspire and drive the team forward. So then uh, we took that idea and then I came across Cameron Herald's work with the Vivid Vision. And then I wrote a vision for the future with that as the core dream. And then that planned out, what does the next five years look like? And I painted that picture. So now what gets me out of bed is I've already painted the picture. And the game for me is to go, how quickly can I make my reality match the picture that I've painted? So, I mean, there's a few moving parts there. Long Long answer to a short question, but <laughs> it's a good one though. It it it, it was certainly uh, entertaining and brought together very systemized approach to explaining your sense of purpose today, mate. <laughs> yeah, so, right. uh, it was it was very logical. It uh, followed from A to B perfectly. <laughs> it was engaging. So what I want to do before before we before we wrap it up, David. I mean, obviously there's there's your systemology book, which I would definitely highly recommend. Uh, you can read it, or if you're like me and you read through your ears, uh, download it on Audible, or I'm sure it's available in other places. But but I got an Audible, um, and uh, and definitely go through there. Uh, also, if you want to investigate how to you know, how's your systems systems hub is is the platform that david has developed uh, where else can people get a bit more information on you know for example contacting a uh, systemologist obviously they can reach me i can i can refer them to rob but in a more broader sense how can someone get in contact with a you know with you with what you do and and potentially get a systemologist to help them finally go through that process of systemizing their business 
definitely. Everything's linked over at thesystemology.com. Probably the best thing that I can suggest, though, when, when I wrote the Systemology book, I wrote it with the idea that I wanted the book on its own to be useful and complete. So whether you work with a systemologist or not, or you go through a group program or not, um, if you're motivated and you connect with the systemology method, everything's outlined in the book. Give it to your key team members for your leadership team and you say, right, do this. So definitely start with the book. And I'll, if you need I'll, some- I'll say uh, you, you, I sent you that uh, copy of the Facebook message from one of my members in my group yesterday that they've read the book and it's like, they're just starting to implement straight away from the book. And and you're absolutely right. You can take what you have taught and you can apply it immediately. Yep. And then if you need some extra help, yes. I mean, my uh, mission these days, when the book came out, we just got flooded with more work than we can handle. And then I realized, hey, I'm most clearly the, the bottleneck here. And then we said, the only real way to do this is to train up people and certify them in the systemology method. So we developed the systemologist certification program. We train up business coaches and accountants and, um, you know, people like Rob who just get it and they want to help business owners. And they're the ones that show up, make sure that the business is accountable, make sure that they do it, meet with the team, train up your systems champion and push that first domino to change the culture in the business because that's really what we're doing here. This is not a one and done scenario. You don't systemize for three months and you say, great, we're a systemized business. Just like Boo mentioned early on, like this is a process. It's a way of looking at things. It's this is the way that we do things here. That's the goal. The, the resistance to make that change happens up front uh, with your existing team members, all new team members that go through the process, they just go, oh, this is, this how is it's the done way here. that yeah. this is how it's done. So as long as you can push through that initial bit, that's really where you start to get the traction and then you make this important change. And because of COVID, there has never been an easier time to systemize a business because team members are accepting of change. They've got change in their family lives, they've got change in their communities, they've got change at work. When you as the business owner come to them and say, right, we have to change some of the ways that we're doing things because you guys are working a bit remotely and our clients are working differently. So we're introducing this new systemized approach. The resistance is very low. Like now is the time to be systemizing. Fantastic. Thanks, David. Thanks so much for sharing uh, your insights, but also uh, not a theoretical model, a practical model that you've demonstrated through your own journey with your own business uh, work. So I reckon people are absolutely bonkers if they don't hook in uh, to uh, what you're doing right now. Really enjoyed the conversation, David. Thank you. And uh, yep, I'm sure it's going to help to impact many business owners as well to start that process of systemizing the business. Thanks for having me, guys. This has been The Few Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The Few Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of the few. We'll see you next week.